You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Well, hi. How are we doing, 930? We doing all right? That was terrible. That was absolutely... That was about like the whitest response that it that's possible. My gosh. All right, we're going to have to loosen up a little bit this morning. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Bird. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, really quick before we get going, uh, if you were here last week, you would know that uh, I wasn't. And um, <laughs> first time, I, I, seriously, I thought about it. First time in 10 years, in 10 years of doing ministry here, it's the first time I've ever been so sick on a Sunday that I couldn't preach. It's, it's never, ever Happened. So I really quick, I, listen, I'll, here's the other thing. If you don't know anything about the like church and running church, when the pastor calls out on Saturday, it creates chaos. <laughs> Absolute chaos. And so can we just give it up for our team and the way they stepped up last week? Yeah. I want to thank uh, Pastor Josh. I want to thank Pastor Bob. I want to thank Rachel. I want to thank uh, Katie. I want to thank uh, Elizabeth and, and uh, Rob and Hospitality. Everybody like stepped up and did an incredible, incredible job last week. Okay, now all that's upset. If you have a Bible on you, open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. 2 Kings 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, before you leave today, we got a stack of them right over here. We'd love to just give that to you absolutely free. Uh, no questions asked. Just take it before you leave. Uh, stack of Bibles right over here. 2 Kings six. Um, one other thing too, um, I'm just looking at this and it's Christmas time. And like, anybody in the Christmas spirit this morning? Yeah. 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 Well, Elisha's not really a Christmas story, but Mikey, can we Christmasify this just a little bit? Can we do something? Can we just much better? Okay. Great. Great. Okay. We've got ourselves a Christmas series now, folks. A very Elisha Christmas. Um, that's a joke. I, I, always, I have to do this because there's always that one guy that's like going to come up to me after church and be like, well, I really like that Elisha story, but what does that have to do with baby Jesus? Nothing. Just enjoy the pictures, okay? <laughs> like, it's, it's just a joke. All right. Okay, look. Second Kings chapter 6 is where we are, and we're actually going to jump right into it. Our story picks up where last week's story left off with the, the axe head floating. So here's what happens in Second Kings 6, starting in verse 8. It says this. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent uh, word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So in other words, here's the sound, okay? So the, the king of Aram, he's like, all right, listen, we've got some battle plans. We're going to attack Israel. And we're going to set up camp over here. And God speaks to Elisha. He's like, hey, you just need to let the, the king of Israel know that the Arameans are planning this, which is kind of frustrating if you're an Aramean. So it continues. And so here's out, uh, verse 11. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and time and again, it happens more than once, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now, so, okay, like, we'll do this. And God goes, hey, psst, by the way, don't do that. And okay, so back and forth. So God keeps, basically, he keeps giving spoilers to the king of Israel through Elisha about the Aramean plan. And so here's what happens. And I don't think it's really that big of a surprise, but in verse 11, here's what happens with the king of Aram. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. In other words, one of you guys is leaking information. 
All right, like I, I've got my trusted circle here. You're the guys that I plan with, and one of you cannot keep his mouth shut. So who is it? Who keeps telling Israel about what we are doing? And so they respond, well, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. In other words, yeah, we got a mole, but the problem is much bigger than you think. Like in your most private place, the words that you speak are being leaked to our enemy because his God hears you. Let me just apply this for a moment to us. Do you know that God hears you? Like, okay, I, I know what, what happens sometimes. Like, we, we pray, we pray, we pray. And like, God, are you there? God, are you there? God, do you understand that the very first time you spoke anything, God heard you? Do you understand that you've never uttered a word that has not caught the ear of the Most High, good or bad? Let me tell you this way. Because I, I, I want this to be understood that like God is so aware of you. You know, we've been praying for uh, this facility thing. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And, uh, you know, I put, on, I put on my Facebook, if you go on there every, I think every day, I'm like, have you prayed yet? You know, and, and I ran into a friend, uh, my friend Luke Thompson, actually, he came over to me at Starbucks uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, and he was like, he's like, hey, man, what's this thing about? And so I told him, and he was like, he goes, okay, well, can I pray with you right now? And I was like, oh, like, who does that? Like, like, be praying for us. No, nobody expects anyone to pray with us, right? Like, if you be praying for me, if somebody does it, we're freaked out, right? But anyway, I said, oh, right. And then he took a step from him and his wife, Lacey, they, they came to church a couple weeks ago, and they brought with them a couple books. Like, hey, these, like, really, really uh, helped us and, and influenced us. We just wanted to give them to you. Like, we bought extra copies. We'd like you to have them. I'm like, ah, oh. like, wow, right? And then I opened up the book later when I get home. And, and, and Lacey has got a, like a really just a prophetic gift. And she had written like, just the, like the nicest words of encouragement inside the covers of both books. And one thing she's like, you know, I just see that God's going to do this, this, and this in your church. And, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, these are the things that I am praying for you guys that you don't know. The stuff that I'm praying, like when I'm in the quiet place, and it's just God in me, and only God hears those things. And she's right, like, God's going to do this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he, he hears me. Do, do, and look, I'm not particularly unique. Do, do you understand that God hears you? Like he's aware of you. And we see this, I mean, this is true of the king of Aram who's working against the people of God. It's absolutely true of the people who are pursuing the Lord. So our story continues, verse 13 says this, go, find out where he is. So, okay, let's, oh, there's somebody who's, okay, all right, find out where he is. We're going to shut that mess down. All right, the king of the so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Okay, so that's where he is. All right, so then he says, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. We're going to do this right. They went by night and surrounded the city. So, okay, it may look like he's surrounded, but hold on, hold on. All right. And when the servant, next verse, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. <laughs> so just imagine this scenario. Gets up, you know, right? Groggy going to get the morning paper and looks up and oh, right? Just suddenly surrounded by his enemies. Like now, okay, that is, that'll be surreal. Like it's just imagine, like, you know, you walk out of the house and boom. And so he says, oh no, my Lord. It continues. What shall we do? Ah, 
the servant asked. <laughs> but look at this next part, you guys. Don't be afraid. The prophet, hey, hey, yeah, that's good. Don't be afraid. Well, have, what do you mean don't be afraid? Like, have you, yeah, yeah, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Hey, you see that army, but I see something you don't see. Reoccurring line we have been saying over and over again in this series, right? Don't look at things with earthly eyes. It, just, it repeats throughout the narrative of the prophet Elisha. We're about to see it again, but let's understand something. Do you, hey, solid ground, do you know who's with you? Okay, like the ones who are with us are greater than the ones who are with them. Well, I don't know, because them looks pretty impressive, huh? But do you know who's with you? And look at this next line. Okay, look at this. And Elisha prayed. And I, just confession, I've been looking forward to this one line the entire series. Like just this right here. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open his eyes. Just, just soak in that for a moment, okay? Open his eyes. Well, I know, I, I, I'm not blind. I can see the army. Yeah, but you don't see what I see. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Verse 17. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the Okay, so there's the army out there, but behind them, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look as though the things that have come to take their place against me are overwhelming, but the God that I serve overwhelms all of them. Let me take this a step further. Do you understand how much bigger your God is than the problem and circumstance that you face? I, listen, I, just so that you know, I got trained to preach in black Pentecostal churches. I'm about to bring some of that out right now, and I need you to not be so white and respond as I go. All right, listen to me. Listen to me, okay? It may look, huh? Do you understand that your God is greater than what you face. That's okay. What is, hey, what is a debt compared to the God who owns all the money? Hey, what is a broken relationship compared to the God who heals the broken heart? What is a prognosis compared to the God who heals? What is a jaded uh, sort of hard heart of a relative who breaks your heart compared to the God who brings the dead to life? I wish you would hear me this morning. What is anything that you face compared to the God who made everything? Who is with you? Come on, somebody. Let me just go for a minute. React for a little bit. Stop staring at me like you're stone face. What is everything that you encounter compared to the God who brings the dead to life, who forgives, who saves, who heals, who walks on water, who made everything from nothing? The answer is it is nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Go on. I like it. (laughs) When, When that person comes to you and all your friends and everybody at work and they go, you should be worried. It's nothing. Well, you should, you should be freaking out. Like, you should, like, your life is over. Oh, but no, see, I know the author of life. Solid ground. Do you understand who's with you as the armies surround you to destroy you? Do you understand the God who is faithful to you? Don't you know, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's true or it's not. And I think it's true. It may look like I'm surrounded, but 
I'm surrounded by you. Let me, let me. We pray and we're in a season of prayer and that's good because we shouldn't go forward without the Lord. And right now we're in the season where I'm asking you every single day to seek the Lord about this facility things. He continues to bring you in. He continues to change lives. He continues to grow the church. Let me understand something. Let me make you understand something. There is not a shred of doubt in my mind that God will not provide for us. And when I ask you to pray, it's not for me. It's for you. I want you to be part of what he's doing so that you will understand that when he does a miracle, he heard your prayers. I know what he's promised me. And let me remind you of that. Some of you have heard this story before. You'll hear it again. I don't know who said it, but I, I think the statement is true. There are some people, like, like, somebody said, the vision is like a bucket with a hole in it. That if you don't continually refill it, it leaks and bleeds dry. So I feel the need to say, listen, here's what God has promised us. I remember when he saved me. And he called me into ministry, told me that he wanted me to preach. And I wasn't looking to do that. I just figured he knows what he's doing, so if he says it, I probably should. I remember one night I was laying in my bed and I was praying and I was like, Lord, sometimes, you know, you just pray big, bold prayers as the Holy Spirit leads you, you know. It was a big, bold prayer. I said, Lord, would you show me my church? (laughs) I don't know why I prayed that, I just did. And instantly, an image flashed in my mind that's kind of common today, but it was not in 1997. (laughs) And I saw this big black stage with like an archway across the back of it made out of like one of those scaffolding things with like lights filling it. And I just saw this, this throng of people like all they pressed up to the stage with their hands up in worship. And I'm laying on my belly and I'm just praying for them. That was it. And I was like, whoa. And I, and I put that on the back burner. Flash forward, we've been doing this for about five years. And we're seeing nothing. I mean, just like nothing. And I had this moment where uh, Pastor Josh, he was, he was interning with us at the time, and, and we were driving back from, a, I think it was a hospital visit, and, um, <laughs> and he asked me a question. He's like, hey, Bert, what, what's your vision for all this? That's a good question. I'm not really like a CEO type. I, I really don't like, well, here's our five-year plan. I, I, just, I don't think that way. I'm just like, Lord, what do you want to do? Okay, we'll do that. Um, so what's your vision for this? I'm like, well, man, you know, I, and I just, I just tell him like what I just told you. Cause you know, when I was 16, I saw this and that's just kind of what I've always been working towards and, and going towards as, as I, as, like, that's just what was out in front of me. As I'm describing him, what I just described you, he gets really, really quiet in the backseat of the car. I'm like, what, man? He goes, yeah, yeah, that, that stage that you saw, like it had a metal scaffolding on the back and there were like, there were lights in it. And there was, like, yeah. And he goes, dude, I saw it. I'm like, what? He goes, I was like, yesterday, I'm on my face before God. I'm praying, and that image just flashed in my mind. <laughs> and that gets me excited because it means I didn't make it up. <laughs> I know what he's going to do because he already said that he was going to do it. I didn't ask for it, he just said that he'd do it. When we talk about this going, when we put those signs out in the lobby that say the best is yet to come, it's not a positive mantra. It's a reminder of the promise that God has for us. That yes, we will have an impact in this county. Yes, we will see the lost come to know Christ. Yes, we will see marriages put back together. We will see the sick healed. We will see the dead raised. Like you think, you think the room is crowded now. You wait till the signs of wonders start. 
And it's going to happen not because I decided that it should. It's because God spoke. And so, listen, when we come to this, pray because I see the reason I don't worry about this is because I know who's with me. So let me ask you a question, Solid Ground. Do you know who's with you? As you go through, do you have any idea who it is that's with you? Do you, I mean, do you, like his nature, do you understand who he is? As you flip out and wonder, how will the bill get paid? And how will I keep the house? And how will the, like the, the, you know, the, the Christmas presents? Do you have any idea who is with you? Do you know who it is that takes care of you? <laughs> Let me tell you something promises about him. Psalm 37, verse 25. This is what David reflects on over his life. He says, I was young and now I'm old. I've lived a full life, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. I've gone all through life and I've never seen God forsake somebody who was seeking. I've never seen it. That's who takes care of you. Let me tell you who fights for you. Fights for you. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Rather than taking matters into your own hand for the second, well, if I just show enough gumption, if I just work to get what I don't you understand who fights for you? Let him do it. That's who fights for you. Do you know, hey, 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 do you know who's always with you? Joshua 1 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Just like with Elisha, right? Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever. You go. That's who's with you. The one who walks with you through every season, through every storm, through every catastrophe, through every prognosis, through every debt, through every relationship. That's the one who is with you. And do you know how much you matter to the one who's always with you? Oh, man. Jesus says it this way, Matthew 10, 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Okay, like he's looking, he's addressing a group of people. Hey, what's the least valuable alive thing that we've got? Sparrows. Two of them are sold for a penny. Okay, so you want to know about those sparrows? <laughs> Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. God doesn't even forsake sparrows. <laughs> he says, you, you want to know how much you matter to God, verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know how aware of you God is. Hey, hey, you know how aware of you God is, how much you are on his mind. He knows more about you than you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, or in my case, the lack thereof. (laughs) So he says, verse 31, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Church, church, you are never outside of God's care. Church, you are never outside of God's care. Yeah, but I know you're never outside of God's care. Well, there, but you're never outside of God's care. The thing, well, you are never outside of God's care. But what if they don't? You are never outside of God's care. But it could. You are never outside of God's care ever. I know. I know. Here's the pushback on that. You look at me. You hear that. You. Those sound great. In writing. But Bert, my experience has been the complete opposite because I remember those prayers that I prayed that God didn't say yes to. I remember the relative I lost. I remember the house that went away. I remember the job that, that fell apart. I remember, so you're telling me that God is always with me, but my experience would say 
Not so much. And it's here that I feel the need to redefine our view of God's faithfulness. Many of us, the way that we define God's faithfulness is God doing what we think he should. Right? So what we do is, okay, listen, God's with me if all the problems go away. Now, bear in mind that promise is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have many problems. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But this is what we do. Okay, it's like, God's with me. If these things go this way, and I think we just need to redefine it. Let me say it this way, okay? Um, don't raise your hands. It'd be awkward. How many of you have ever met somebody like, that's just so on fire for the Lord? I mean, they just love Jesus so much that it makes you question if you're a Christian. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you remember somebody like, like, like they exude the love of Christ. You're like, I feel like, I do. I think I believe. I like, you just kind of like stumble out of the room. You know what I'm talking about? All right. I met one of those guys a couple weeks ago. His name was Kiram. He's a, he was a missionary from India, like grew up in India. His story, son of a, of a, a Hindu priestess, incredibly afflicted by demons his entire life to the point where he actually ran away from home as a child, forgot his own name, was living on the streets eating trash. I and mean, that's just like, just like in, living in this insanity and God showed up, saved him, set him free, rebuked the enemy from him, turned him into, into a missionary. It's awesome. And now he like, goes into towns and he, he finds, like he's, he's telling sort of like a guy, they went to a town, a guy had chained his own son to a tree because of how afflicted the guy was. And they cast this thing out and the guy is healed. I mean, just crazy, cool, neat, wow God stories. As I'm talking to Kiram, the, the American missionary that, that brought him over, he was at my parents' house, uh, that brought him over to my, my parents' house, was telling me about, like, like listen, you know, like, uh, you know, he's been beaten with rods for his faith, and yet I've never seen somebody exude so much joy. I mean, he has nothing, but he's just thrilling. He's like, grab my hand, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Like, me, me, dang, on, dude. And he's telling me about, like, within the last year, like five of his friends have been martyred for their faith. So you're like, one guy, he goes, one guy who's my prayer partner, this past October, went to a town, and we warned him not to go. We were like, you shouldn't go there because it's not safe. And he's like, but nobody will reach them with the gospel if I don't. So he went in, and they killed him for it. And so my, my, my parents and I were hearing this, and like, what, what else? He's like, we're going to pray. Well, let's just pray that God will end the persecution. And we just, how about we just pray that God makes it easier? How about we just pray that God ends the persecution? To which he went, no, 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 don't pray that. I'm like, what? He goes, we don't want the persecution to stop because through it, we're made better and more people are reached. We would ask that you would pray that we would be faithful to God through it. He goes, like, my friend who died in October, 70 families have come to Christ because his blood was shed. Yeah, right? And we go, sure, why not want that? Listen. And never in a moment has he, has, has he remember like, well, I don't think that God's with me because he defines it completely differently. To him, I, let me just say this. We need to understand that God is always aware of us and there are times he will use the absolute bleakest circumstances to bring his kingdom on the earth. Yes, he is always with you. And I hear these stories. I hear stories of people coming to Christ because of Alzheimer's patients. I, I hear stories of people coming to Christ because of like a terrible prognosis. I hear stories of people coming to Christ because somebody left. Like just on and on it goes. Okay, what is it? Jesus uses every and anything. No, he's never left you. Never. And if you don't believe me, he said it. Matthew 28, 20, and be sure of this. Meaning like, take it to the bank. I am with you always. 
even to the end of the age. Guys, I'm with you until there's not a world. Guys, I'm with you until there's no such thing as time. I'm with you until the worst of the worst has done the worst of the worst because I will always be to you the best of the best. I'm with you always. When it comes to Elisha, he looks out. And God's purpose with Elisha is not done, and so we're going to see him deliver him. But understand something. You have been given a specific purpose and calling from God as well. He is absolutely 100% aware of you. And so back to Elisha, in case you thought I forgot. Jump in verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. Oh, shoot. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Now let's just pause here, okay? Before you read this and go, oh, sweet, all right? So if you're like, man, my boss at work is a jerk, so I'm just gonna pray, papa. That's, that's not, okay. That's not what this passage is about, as we're about to see. So just watch what he does with it, okay? So Elisha told them, so they, they're, they're all struggled, like an entire army struck with blindness, they're fumbling around, Elisha told them, oh, this is not the road, and this is not the city. So, <laughs> like, guys, you're in the wrong place. And they're like, oh, oh okay, right? He goes, so he goes, follow me, and I will lead you to the, the man you're looking for. <laughs> so, so, like, oh, yeah, this isn't where you want to be. Friends, come with me. I'll get them to, to the guy that you want. And he led them to Samaria. I mean, he takes an army of blind people and leads them about 10 miles, just fumbling along the way. <laughs> and as they entered the city, check this out. Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. <laughs> oh, man. And then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. So they went, thinking, oh, we're going to Dothan. Like, this will, this will like, we'll, we'll, we'll outgun them. And they show up, and they're in a stronghold of Israel. <laughs> they show they're completely outgunned, and they're like, oh, this is, this is worse. Okay, okay. <laughs> but watch this next part. Watch this next part. And when the king of Israel... Saw that, or saw them. He asked Elisha, "Shall I kill them, my father?" Now, just this is a side note, um, but just remember something. We talk about how, like in week one, how God will change the entire spiritual climate of the country, like during the lifetime of Elisha, and like if you just hold on, watch what he does because Elijah. Just think about where Israel was when Elijah was on the scene, right? How the king of Israel himself was pursuing Elijah to kill him. Watch this one eighty. That now the king is going like he's calling Elisha father. And he's asking him, like, what shall I do? Okay, do you understand, no matter how bleak, no matter how dark the circumstances, that God completely flip it around. Shall I kill them? Now, check this. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own uh, sword and bow? And I just wanted to check this for another. Okay, so basically what he's saying is, um, listen, there, there are captives. Would you kill your captives? No, that, that would be brutal. That would be, that would be archaic. No, of course you wouldn't do that. Now, now so, so what do you do with that? Well, here's what you do. He says, set food. <laughs> set food and water before them so they can eat and drink and then go back to their master. Now, pause on that. Okay. For the one who's sitting here who believes, like you come to the Old Testament and you're like, man, isn't God so bloodthirsty in the Old Testament? It's stories like this that you've got to reread. Because here's what's happened. The entire opposing army has been given, like with a bow, to the forces of Israel. And Elisha's response is, give him food. Give him mercy. Now, here's why this is big. Okay. If you are not a person who trusts God, you would never do this. 
right? Well, you okay? Like, if it was handed to you, what you would do is you'd be like, all right, now this is it. I'm going to use my power. I'm going to take them out. But we understand that like God is doing something specifically. Here's why I bring this: because how many of you, the reason that you are struggling spiritually is rather than trust and wait for the Lord to speak and act, you continually take matters into your own hands. So you do it like everybody else does. And then you wonder why God isn't blessing you. Why would he bless your own hard-heartedness? Are you going to do it his way or not? I'm going to continue. Okay, so look at this. So give him food. So he gives him, he prepared a great feast. So he gives him Thanksgiving dinner. All right. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. And they returned to their master. Again, this is going to seem like, man, what a terrible decision to make. Why would you, wait, you fed your enemies and then you released them? Yeah, but watch what God does with them. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Meaning God took this radical mercy and changed their heart. And they went, man, I remember when I was in their hand and they let me go. And he stops the war just like that. Not with sword, not with shield. With the power of his grace and mercy. I'm bringing up this last detail. Um, because I think it bears an application to many lives. Some of you, this has already been applied to your life. You just haven't seen it. So let me put it this way. So you've got this group of people. And what has happened is God has crippled them. And in so doing, he's brought them into his plan. Right, so you have this group of people, like they were going their own way, they were doing their own thing, and what it took for them to pursue the Lord and, and, and be in alignment with the plan of God was God broke them down. And in doing that, he invited them to the feast. L- let me say this for you. This has been many of your stories. Where, where, you, where in life? And, and you don't have to raise your hand. I know, I've, I've talked to so many. You were going your own way. You were doing your own thing. And what it took was God crippling you. Yes. And that changed you, right? So, so okay, like, you were, you, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm living for me. I'm living for him. What happened? Well, you lost your marriage. But in doing that, he invited you to the feast and you found something better. Okay, you're doing your own thing. You're doing your own thing. You're doing your own thing. Okay, and then you lost your job. You lost your company. What happened? He crippled you. And in so doing, he brought you to the feast. Okay. You're doing your own thing, you're doing your own thing, you're doing your own thing, and then like your kids stopped talking to you, the, the, the prognosis came in bad, I mean, just like, I don't know what's okay, but I was doing this, I was living for me, and my world fell apart, and in doing that, God actually saved me. And it wasn't him being faithless to me, he was actually being more faithful than I could have asked for. Because, because what he was doing, I was fumbling through the dark, and he invited me to the feast. Hey, there are some of you sitting here today, this is exactly where you are, all right? You've been living for you, and God has just removed the floor from under you. Not everybody, I'm not saying that everybody who goes through a bad season, God's trying to secretly break them, no, 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 but just there's some who are here today, all right, like you were living for you, and God broke your heart, and now what he wants to do is bring you to the feast. You thought your greatest need was this earthly thing, but you have a much greater spiritual need. You thought, okay, if I just had this, then my life would be fine. But what you didn't understand was God wanted to save and complete you. What he wanted to do was make life better than it could have been. Hey, you were blinded. You were inconvenienced. You were brought down more pegs than you thought possible. But in doing that, don't you know, he's got something better for you. 
Just like a feast is better than a battle. Hey, just like a feast is better than bloodshed and a sword at your throat, he's got something better for you. And so let me ask you, is today the day that you eat? Is today the day where you finally say, okay, Lord, yeah, I'm in. Or we keep fumbling in the dark. Which one is it? Here's the good news. If you ask him to save you, he will. If you ask him to forgive you, he will. Do you know that God, God's love for you never stopped? Do you know that, that he has always behaved towards you, not because of how good you were, but because of how good he is? God, like when you were at your furthest, God sent his son Jesus to die for your sin freely to forgive you, save you, change you, fill you. And then he raised Jesus from the dead independently of you to give you new life. You haven't earned any of it, but if you want it, you can have it. You can come to the feast. And all you gotta do is ask. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would say you're not walking with the Lord, but you would like to come to the feast, I want you to pray with me right now. And let's watch what he does. Heavenly Father, that's what we're gonna pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me more than I could have asked. And God, I, I don't understand everything. And I may never understand everything. But one thing that I know is that you're good. And so in this moment, I choose to hand my life over to you. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sin. I believe you raised him from the dead so that I can have new life with you. And I want that life. I ask you now, please come into my heart. Please fill me with your spirit. Please show me how to follow you. I hand my life over to you now. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.